0: Okay, welcome. This is uh, Ian Gardner. I'm here with uh, another thrilling episode of The Unicorn Farm. Uh, I'm here with uh, Laura McKenzie in Deepest Melbourne. So welcome, Laura.
1: Hi, Ian. Good to see you down here.
0: Yeah, Have you done uh, uh, thousands of listener podcasts like this before?
1: I've never done a podcast.
0: <laughs> Neither have I. I've there done, no... I've done
1: a, a bit of radio and a bit of TV, but never a podcast.
0: So you're um, you're the CEO of Scale Investor, so do you want to tell us a little bit about what you do?
1: Yeah, that's right. So um, Scale is a female-focused angel network um, founded by myself, Susan Oliver, Carol Schwartz and Annette Kimmett in Melbourne, um, almost two years ago now. Okay. Um, we have 75 angel investors on board as part of the network. Most of them are women, but there are about 10 um, 10 of those 75 that are men. And they're generally non-exec directors, um, high-net-worth individuals who are interested in investing as part of a group to get yep. that diversity of opinion, partners at professional service firms who are in some way precluded from investing in the stock market yep. because of conflicts of interest, some high net worth families, and then some entrepreneurs who've been pretty successful in their business and yep. really want to pass on knowledge to, not necessarily the next generation, because some of the entrepreneurs that we've invested in are you know, older women. Yep. We're not just investing in kind of 20 something.
0: So we'll, we'll talk in a sec about maybe the, the deals and your yeah, criteria, but like, what about you? How did you get involved in this and how did you end up, um, Founding and running scale.
1: Yeah, good question. So um, I've always been really passionate about connecting female entrepreneurs with capital. Um, I worked in microfinance for a number of years, where providing loan capital to women's in women in emerging markets really. Made a significant difference, and actually, women are much better repayers of that capital that was generally loan capital.
0: Was um, that in emerging
1: markets? Yeah, mainly in India, the Philippines, and in East Africa, with an organisation called Opportunity International. Okay. It was set up by a fantastic guy called David Baso, who's based in Sydney. Right actually. Um, And when I was investing in these um, Indian microfinance organisations, one thing that I realised was, actually, we were building a portfolio, we had about 13 investments at the time, anything from um, a man with a business plan to um, someone who already had 350,000 clients. And I realised that in building this portfolio of investments, it was rather like Building a portfolio of venture capital investments, right. so I built some relationships with some of the venture firms in Melbourne. One of them being Starfish Ventures, yeah. and they were you know provided some great mentoring and support, and realised that actually most of the challenges were pretty similar around financial alignment of interest and recruitment and retention of, right. of staff and, and senior management.
0: But, but you weren't a, a professional investor, so to speak, before you went into this. You kind of...
1: Oh, no, was I was. I, my background was in corporate finance before right, that. Right, okay, yeah. so you were. Yeah. Um, and that was with
0: a, one of the big four? Yeah, right? I
1: was with PricewaterhouseCoopers at the time. Right,
0: I mean, yeah. are, are you happy to be out of the, the, the rat race, the groin?
1: <laughs> well, actually, PricewaterhouseCoopers are one of our partners at scale, and we yeah. host all our events there, and actually one of our... Uh, one of their partners is on our board, and yeah. we have two um, great secondies from PwC working with us. So in many ways, I spend probably oh, as much in, time <laughs> in the PwC office now as I did when
0: I was. Yeah, so there. You, you know, learn like to still be nice about PwC, <laughs> but be happy that you're doing your own thing.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good. yeah you can do both, and, and and actually, you know, we really do need that um, social investment of capital and resources and facilities from other organisations in the ecosystem yeah. to make scale scalable.
0: Um, So tell us a bit about the the investments you've made then and what you're looking for.
1: Yeah, well, maybe i just backtrack a little bit and tell you a little bit about Starfish and and my journey into scale, just to finish your first question. So um, when I left Opportunity International and the microfinance investments to to join Starfish, um, where I worked in the venture capital team for uh, about three years, Um, and one of the things I... Realised was I was the only woman on our investment committee and the only woman on the investment team. And in fact, the 25 active portfolio companies we had when I left Starfish, none of them had female founders. There were four other female board members. Um, And I realised that actually Starfish wasn't unique in that um, lens. Um, It's very, very similar globally. Um, 96% of partners at venture firms are male. Um, And so that's very much reflected in the types of investments that we make. We tend to invest in people like us or people we once were or people we wish we were. 96%. Yeah.
0: That's a pretty staggering number.
1: Yeah. And and so scale is actually part of a real global trend to try and break this, if you like, homophily (laughs) phenomena of investing in the same. um, And to try and encourage more female entrepreneurs. Um, And so you know, there's a number of female-focused funds that have launched recently in the US, so um, Kirsten Green runs a business called Forerunner Ventures. They invest in retail-based female businesses, so they've invested in businesses like Bonobos and Birchbox, they'd be pretty familiar names to, to you and the listeners. Um, there's another business, Aspect Ventures. Um, Jen Fonstead is ex-DFJ, and Teresa Gao is ex um Excel and so they, you know, have been partners at phenomenal firms. And there's a number of women that are leaving mainstream firms to go and set up on their own. And I, I think that you know this is a trend that will continue. And we're really the first in Australia.
0: Yeah. yeah. And does the Ellen Poe case that just finished <laughs> in the U.S. I mean, do you want to give us your yeah?
1: Your look, advice? I think um, she was very brave to take that to court, and it really shone a light on, you know, the. In many ways, unconscious but absolutely endemic sexism that is in the industry. Um, Some of it
0: sounded pretty badly. You know, sitting at the back of the room and not being allowed to go on the weekend trip. And
1: yeah, I mean, I haven't all. experienced anything like that, but um, I have heard plenty of stories, both from other investors and entrepreneurs, along those lines. Um, you know, I think you have to be very resilient as a minority in any industry Um, and being a woman in the technology space and in the investment space you are often the only woman in the room and so um, often we're under a little bit of pressure to modify our behavior to fit in with the others in the room rather than be ourselves Um, so that's something I think that will naturally evolve um, as more female focused funds come to the fore.
0: Uh, And it's not just female focused funds I mean there's you know, co-working cool spaces, was it uh, Amanda Wallace just launched Ventura? Katrina. Katrina, yeah. sorry. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, I know another Amanda Wallace, so <laughs> apologies. Uh, you've got Heads Over Heels, uh, Natasha. Uh, I mean, this is all good for the sector, but there is a bit of activity.
1: Yeah. So. And, and we all talk to each other. I mean, right. it's fantastic for scale to have organisations like Heads Over Heels, like Springboard, like Redbirds. Have co-working spaces like the Ventura because really that all feel, feeds into our deal flow, yeah. and we really feel like we're bringing more capital to the the, the ecosystem
0: yeah.
1: um, okay. and more educated female investors. And so, you know, we all talk to each other pretty regularly, um, and you know, we help them as much as they they help us out as well. Because I think we can all learn from each other.
0: So, but do you think this is? affecting, you know, if you're a female entrepreneur with a, mm. a great startup, actually before that, you know, mm. if you're not a female entrepreneur and you, you want to become one and you've yeah. got an idea, do you think they may be more inclined to, to start a business because they know there's a bit more of a willing ecosystem focused on them to help them?
1: Yeah, look, I, I actually don't think that there's a real problem with women starting businesses. I think more than half of the businesses that are started these days are started by women. It's about even in tech? scalable businesses right. and businesses that are leveraging technology. Um, and I will always use that term, leveraging technology, rather than women in tech, because they're solving all kinds of problems right. in all kinds of industries. Um, and I think that's the challenge.
0: So that um, percentage of half of companies formed by women, like, is there a relative percentage for percentage of women founding scalable businesses as you call it? Yeah,
1: so look, I know there um, has been a survey that Fishburners have done, um, which I still think is very Sydney-centric, but Polonizer did a survey back in 2012, which said, actually, only 4% of businesses that received funding from venture firms in Australia had female founders. Right. Um Okay, great. So, a number of um, our scale angel investors founded high growth technology businesses, some of which they've sold. So, Lindsay Cadwall sold her business to Telstra about a decade ago. Naomi Simpson you would have seen on Shark Tank with Red Balloon. Um, Lauren Melton has a, had a business that she founded in Silicon Valley about 15 years ago. Um, there are other businesses in Australia that have scaled and been sold. For example, um, Marianne Shearer, who founded T2. Um, we know Janine Ellis's story at Boost Juice, and there's been private equity businesses that have built into that. So there are plenty of examples of women who have grown scalable businesses. And you know some of the things that... I've noticed in the press in the last couple of years, um, organisations like Women for Media really trying to encourage the Fin Review and others to write more about successful women, mm-hmm. um, and, and so you do see more stories there. And I think it's really having those role models that um, will encourage more businesses, more women to be more ambitious.
0: Yeah. So should we talk now about your sure. investments sure. and the criteria? Yeah. yeah. So what are you looking for? What's the perfect investment?
1: Yeah, so we are looking for businesses that have a female founder or where a woman has significant equity and influence because we want there to be alignment of interest
0: between So that could and be one. a female co-founder?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So a couple of the businesses we've invested in um, have, the woman is one of, a team of two co-founders. Um, one of three? Is that okay? That's, that's all fine. It would be pretty hard for us to invest in a business where at the point we invested the f- woman had less than a 10% stake. Right. Um, because the motivation to grow you know, and not necessarily take a commercial salary for a number of years yeah. and really their reward is when exit comes along and as investors that's when our reward is. Um, that's really the, the crux of it there. Um, and the research is really around gender diverse teams outperforming single sex teams male dominated teams. And so by ensuring there's a female founder on board we know that they're going to be gender diverse.
0: So because there was a study done, I think out the US that mm-hmm. showed that if you have a female co-founder, you will make more money.
1: There have been a number of studies throughout the ecosystem. You know, there's a number of EFTs of listed companies that, you know, just investing companies that have 25% women on the board. There's been studies done of the FTSE 500 and the Nasdaq. All of those demonstrate that businesses that do have women on the team outperform and, others. And
0: why do you think that is?
1: Um, I think it's about having diversity of opinion around the room. Um, and of course, gender is a little bit easier to see, Mm. um, and women aren't a minority with 50% of the population. Um, you know, there are obviously other areas of diversity around age, around race that need to play in as well. Um, but I think this is a great place to start. Um, and I see it really as our competitive advantage because there are women starting more businesses, but they're not necessarily getting funding. Yeah. So I actually think it's a you know a little bit of an opportunistic play. Yeah. Um, so they have to have a female female founder or co-founder. They've got to be able to demonstrate their product. The five investments that we've made, each of the founders have, when they've presented to us, clearly demonstrated their their product or service. Yeah. Um, they need to be have some proprietary IP or have built some barriers to entry. Um, and for, we need to believe that they can scale within five years to revenue of at least $20 million. Yeah. Um, generally, we say we're looking to invest in businesses on a pre-money valuation of around two. Okay. In reality, I think we've invested in businesses that have been anything worth anything between one and seven and a half. And I'm sure we'll do some later stage investments as well.
0: Right, but ar- around that stage, you'd be taking our, what, 250 k 500 k so bed.
1: Yeah, so we've um, invested in five companies, $2.5 So that's an average of around half a million a time. Okay. And we've led a number of those deals and then brought invest- other investors alongside us. And a couple have been led by others, and we've piggybacked on their yeah. diligence. Mm-hmm. You know, I think women tend to be very collaborative. So we'll often share our diligence with other groups, um, which I think brings people... Up to speed more quickly, um, you know. And one thing that we That's see the, is, very, and you don't
0: expect any upside or carry as a result no, of doing that. No, no. you just
1: because we to want to make sure investors. that the, organi- the, the founder raises enough money to execute on their yep. business plan to get to the next milestone yep. and achieve those key metrics. Um, you know, so for example, the last investment we made, we confirmed how much we were interested in investing. We found a few others to wrap that up a little bit more. But the entrepreneur still had to find another couple of hundred thousand to get it to a point where we knew that they would raise enough to be able to execute on their business plan. And they did that Um, because I think it's around you putting your hand up and saying you're backing someone that really makes them more attractive to others as well.
0: So right now your, your model of investing is within the, your network rather than you specifically, you're not a fund. I mean, do you want to just touch on how the investments actually take place?
1: Yeah, that's right. So, um, we, Recruited our first angel investor on the 2nd of July, 2013. Okay. Um, and currently, all of the angels that are interested in a particular company invest through a unit trust. Um, and, and is that set up that we set just up. for that deal? Yeah, that we set up just okay. for that deal. Um, and as, as I was saying to you earlier, Ian, um, on Thursday, we received confirmation from Oz Industry that we um, are we have been able to register a, conditionally a fund as an early-stage Venture Capital Limited Partnership. So that means that all distributions from that fund are tax-free. So anyone that wants to, is really interested in investing in female-led businesses but perhaps doesn't have the time or the inclination to be an active angel, or there might be a corporate, or maybe there might be a government organisation, they might want to come and invest in the fund right. to leverage not only the knowledge of myself and my investment director, Lynn Thornton, but the wider-scale angels pool. Right, um, so
0: you're going to be moving towards a fund-based model now? That's Sorry, right, so we'll out, have both. The, the, well, the can, well, are you well, the can?
1: <laughs> As of Thursday, we are we are out okay, in the market and actively raising that, and we've certainly had a little bit of interest, so now we've, uh, we've written our IM and um, looking to raise the fund in the next six months or so. And, and
0: who are you hoping to raise the fund from?
1: I won't go into details of that now, but there's a number of different types of investors who are interested. Yeah, so that's, I wasn't thinking yeah. individuals. Yeah, yeah. Then, so for all yeah. kinds of reasons. you know, they're, they're really interested in understanding what types of companies are disrupting industries that they're already in, yeah. have access to that deal flow. People that recognize the increased productivity. Investing in female businesses will bring to the national economy, mm-hmm. um, and people that have a real interest in entrepreneurship um, and really believe that that is where there is money to be made, um, and perhaps don't have you know the time to do it on a hands-on role.
0: And so, what's your expect? Is your expectation for the the people contributing to the fund that they are female? Females as well? Or are you? Oh, no, no. Just as, you know,
1: anyone is welcome to join the angel network. Um, we've got 10 scale males, as they're happy to be known. <laughs> but most of our angels are women. But I think investors in the fund will come from all... Um, walks of life and, and genders. So no, we're not focused I mean, on just having female investors. And
0: with a, a fund, you know, so I think you touched on the, the quantum, like how big the fund you're hoping? Yeah, that's right. So a,
1: a minimum of be. 25, probably okay. between 25 and, and 30 million. We want to make sure that the fund is investing at the same time as... The scale angels because it's really important there's alignment of interest between us. We don't want to invest much later or much earlier. So I think the fund will probably do between 15 and 20 investments, um, and the fund life will be a 10 10 year duration. Okay, so. so that's a
0: bigger bet. I mean, to make 15 to 20 on our 30 million fund's about a million a pop.
1: Million roughly. to a million and a half. So okay. if, so think about it. Um, you might. Invest five or six hundred to start with, and then there might be some follow-on investment. Right. You might, so, probably are you still going to run the
0: angel scale. network as well? So yeah, that's early right. Early stage here, followed on by the fund, or co no, no, no. by the fund.
1: Both the fund and the angels will invest together. Gotcha. And as I said, you know, we have invested in anything as low as a one million dollar pre-money valuation, up to a seven and a half million dollar pre-money valuation so far, and may, may even go a bit later. Because one of the things I've learned is. With angel investors, the key difference from my perspective between angel investors and a fund is with angel investing, it's your money. With a fund, it's someone else's and you are custodians of that fund. But an angel will want to have their own mix of investments and some of those might be later stage as well. So we have a bit of an open mind around how that will pan out. Um, As I said before, what I've noticed is we've only invested in businesses that have been able to demonstrate their product. And that's where I think we can add most value in terms of going to market and helping to recruit team members, um, etc. Um, it's too early for scale at the moment if you just have an idea or are looking to build a prototype.
0: Yeah, and, and so like, let's think forward three to five years. I mean, what's the market going to be like for? For you and your investments, I and mean, just give us a, your perspective in the startup sector generally in Australia.
1: Yeah, well, Rick Baker wrote a great report on this um, last week, I think. Um, you know, I really think the market has changed. There are more smaller funds. It's obviously much cheaper now to start a business than it was five years ago, ten years ago, and so. But no um, easier to
0: be successful.
1: Yes, so so I think, but I think people will fail faster. Yep. Um, and I think many of the exits that we will do will be trade sales at the 15 to 20 million dollar mark. We're not necessarily looking for the next unicorn. Mm-hmm. Um, and as again, we, we were reflecting on earlier, one of the <laughs> phenomena with unicorn companies is actually they don't have very good female representation at all. Um, I think Theramis would probably be the only female unicorn company that I would think of, which oh. is this very cool um, blood testing Technology, yeah, um, but many of the unicorn companies don't have any female board representation. I think, in fact, sixty percent of U.S. based unicorn companies have no female board members. Ouch! Which is That's pretty bad, horrendous. You know, and hopefully, you know, as there's a, a few companies that are coming up through up through the Australian startup ecosystem that are growing rapidly. A couple have female founders. And I'd like to think that those boards will be more gender diverse.
0: Yeah. Okay, so last question, um, Laura. The In order to get more female entrepreneurs, you know, founding and running and being successful and building unicorns, you kind of have to start as early as possible. Yeah. So how do we affect the schools, universities, engineering, science courses to try and attract more females into yeah, the sector? Yeah, uh,
1: well, I think the... <laughs> STEM is a very broad based um, term. We have to remember it's not just around having more women as computer scientists. You know, you've got to think about what problem you're solving. And there are more women graduating in chemical engineering and in medicine. And, and so I think we need to be a little bit less tunnel-visioned on just focusing on computer science. I think that will become a core part of the national curriculum for everyone. Yeah. You just need to look at preschool kids these days, and most of them are much more uh, proficient with technology than you and I would be. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think STEM, science, technology, engineering, and maths, is much, much broader than you know the pure play computer science.
0: Okay, so you're overall happy with... The way it is. I mean, could, could we do anything even within the broader scope of science to, to attract more females?
1: We can always do more, but I think it's around role modelling right. um, in all walks of life.
0: Okay. Well, look, good luck. Thank you so much for, for, for joining and uh, good luck with the investments in the new fund. And, uh, yeah, if anyone's got a spare few million, I'm sure they can uh, track you down.
1: <laughs> Thank you, Ian. <laughs> okay.